any morning after, as, as, as was mentioned, a Oilers shellacking is, is a good morning. It's a good morning. Nine goals against. Even strength, even at that. So, uh, good thing they did not pursue a goalie at the trade deadline. That would have just made too much sense. Um, it's, it's a joy to be with you this morning. As mentioned, my name is Tim McAlpine, uh, and just, just a brief introduction. I've, it's been, it's, I think it's been over a year since I've been here. I preached once for Greg. Uh, would have been, yeah, over a year. I couldn't remember exactly when that was, but I am still married to my wife, Arian. We have been married for coming up on 14 years uh, this August. Uh, we have three kids. One, I brought my, my daughter, Adeline, with me. Uh, she's kind of my little sidekick when I... When I do some preaching, she'll come with me. We've got our son, Tobin, who's nine. Uh, and then we have a daughter, Livy Ruth, who is just turned one in January, uh, which, if you're just doing some quick math, it totally makes sense to have 11-9 gap and then a baby because you're out of diapers by this point, and who wants to not be changing diapers? So you start all over again. And uh, we do we praise Jesus for her life, and we thank COVID for that one. But... Um, that's, uh, that's our family. Uh, I, as mentioned, yeah, I used to pastor at uh, Trinity Bible Church in Canmore. Uh, I was there for a couple of years, 2014 to 16. We moved back to Calgary, and um, things did not go as I had hoped or I had planned. But, uh, so I, I did a number of different things while in Calgary, but most recently, as of March 2021, I, I took a position at uh, Trinity Christian School. Crazy enough, I really like to follow Trinity around. Uh, and uh, work as a discipleship pastor at a school where K to nine, so I spend most of my days with uh, grade nine boys that invade my office, and um, I've, I have a lot of candles in my office, uh, not because of rituals, but just because of scent, and and it helps eliminate that. And uh, I get to uh, I, I tell my friends that are serving in local churches, I'm I'm paid to be a professional friend to some degree, but but more importantly is, is one of my roles is to partner with local churches in our area. Uh, we have about 40 denominations represented in our school, but three main churches that our junior high go to for youth. And so I just try to partner with their pastors, encourage them, uh, support them in the discipleship of, of our students, and, uh, and work with parents. I partner with parents and then try and provide a little spiritual formation to our, to our staff in our, in our school. So I love it. I never thought I would do it. Never thought I'd go from, from lead pastor to youth pastor, I suppose, uh, but uh, having a ton of fun, and God's been kind to us. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Uh, this morning, we are going to take a look at First uh, Timothy 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. First Timothy 1, 12 to 17. Uh, if you're familiar with the epistles or the letters of Paul at all, this will be somewhat of a familiar passage to you. Uh, all I want to do is just walk through these five verses, providing a bit of context, and then a few points of application, and uh, we'll have you on your way. Uh, but uh, I've, I, I kind of see this text breaking up into you know, kind of four parts. Uh, we'll see kind of this, this grateful mission at the beginning. And Paul expresses his gratitude and the mission that he's called to. Uh, we're going to see uh, the reality in verses 13 and 14. I really like alliteration, by the way. The reality, verse 15 is the reason, and verse 16, 17 is the response. So I'm going to read the text and pray, and then we'll dive in. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17 says... I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. 
because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Banff Park Church. Thank you for the opportunity and the freedom to gather. We thank you for your word, that it is timeless and true, that we can trust it, we can submit ourselves to it as authority. We know that um, your word has not only stood the test of time, but it does the impossible. So we ask that you would, by your spirit, illuminate these truths to us. Might you help me graciously to handle your word properly? Would you, Jesus, exalt yourself, draw us to you? And may the words of my heart, or the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, we pray by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a number of years ago now, but I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I had found myself in a place I never thought I would be. As uh, drugs and alcohol deteriorate a life, I had experienced that in my own. Uh, after serving in ministry, after having a family, I continued down a path that would lead me to a place of complete desperation and was in need of some extra help, extra support, and was looking at doing a little bit of treatment. And uh, the problem was I had not only deteriorated <laughs> relationships and emotions and spiritual conditions, but I had, uh, our bank account was pretty deteriorated too at this time, and I wasn't able to afford to pay for this. And I remember the phone call that I received. Two separate churches that I did not attend, nor was I a member at, had committed to covering the financial costs for me to go to treatment. They said, don't worry about the cost. We'll got it covered. Go get well. That act of generosity, compassion, empathy, and grace cultivated in me a heart of gratitude. A desire then, like I've been told, gratefulness is a feeling. We can feel grateful and it changes nothing about our lives. Or we can live with gratitude. Gratitude is an action word. And, and so it cultivated in me a desire to live with gratitude, to, to demonstrate how appreciative I was for the way that these churches that I had nothing to do with, essentially, would support us in this. Friends, understanding sacrifices others make for us should stir up in us not just that emotion of gratefulness, but a life lived with gratitude. And nothing should stir up this more in us than the person and work of Jesus. And I believe Paul in this text gives us a reality, a reason, and a proper response to who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, context of this, this is Paul has recently actually been released from prison. Uh, he's on his way back to Ephesus to help his young apprentice, Timothy, as Timothy is handling and, and pastoring this church in Ephesus. And there, there's, Paul's got a bit of a concern, actually, and if you were to look back in Acts 20, 29, Paul addresses this idea that there's going to be some false doctrines that are going to creep into the church. And this is what's happening in Ephesus. And Paul's coming back. He's writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him. 
If you know any young pastors that have served in ministry, you understand that when difficult things happen in church, the true temptation of every young pastor's heart, if they're honest, is to run. That it's easier to run and walk away than it is to stay and be faithful. I've, I've done it. My resume demonstrates two years, two years, two years, two years, and then gone. I turned 40 this year, and I have yet to, in my married life, work a job more than two and a half years. That's insane. Yeah, God's been kind. Anyways, I digress. Um, Paul's writing this letter to, to encourage Timothy, and, and he's addressing the fact that there's these false doctrines that are starting to creep into the church. Now, before we address those, I think it's important to understand who is Paul. If you're familiar with the New Testament at all, uh, Paul actually wrote about 80% of the New Testament. And if you were to turn back to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, there's this verse that says his name was Saul at this time, and he's just uttering threats against the church. That Paul would actually admit to torturing Christians in his day. As a religious leader of the day, he hated Jesus and his followers. And of course, there's this miraculous conversion that takes place on Acts, in Acts chapter 9, where Jesus confronts Paul, Paul repents, he's blinded for three days, the scales fall off, and suddenly he's on mission. Paul was like the worst of the worst against Christians. He was there when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr. This is, this is who Paul, this is who's writing this letter. And I think it's important to remember that as we read through it, because it's not a guy who grew up in the church and, and had parents that, that loved him, and, and he was a disciple of Jesus his whole life. He grew up in religion, all right, but it wasn't following Jesus. It was putting every ounce of effort into stopping the advancement of this gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what his, that was his goal, that was his aim. And he didn't come to a place where he cleaned himself up and then was brought into the church. Jesus graciously intervened and interrupted his life and brought, bring, brings him to a place not only of repentance, but, but of, of gratitude. Now I want to just quickly give a, a, an overview of Kind of what Paul says. So in the beginning of the letter, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, of Christ Jesus our hope. Very similar language that he uses in his letter to, to the church in Colossae, talking about addressing the church and beginning with our hope is in Jesus. He's, he's in you. He's the hope of glory is what he says in Colossians. To Timothy, my true child in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord. A very endearing term, very, just, just a kind, compassionate, if I'm honest, as I read it, it kind of feels like that, just soften you up before the blow type thing, you know, where it's like, hey, grace and peace to you, brother. Now, got a few things. I got a few things I want to talk to you about. In the next few verses, verses 3 to 7, Paul just talks about how there's different doctrines creeping into the church. Different doctrines and, and endless myths and genealogies are the terms that he uses. Now, it's not necessarily that they're even anti-Jesus theology, but they're different. And they're endless. And they're wasting their time, energy, and efforts on looking at these different doctrines, endless genealogies, and myths. It would appear that Paul is saying, listen... The church, is. he, said, he actually says in verse, well, verse 4, it cultivates speculations rather than stewardship. So these, these doctrines, these genealogies, these myths, 
are causing the people of the church to speculate on things that are, are not helpful. They're harmful to the mission of Jesus. But he, he's talking about how there's these endless genealogies and they promote speculations. And I started to think, you know, in verse 7, verse 7 is hilarious to me because verse 7 to me is affirmation that they had the internet back then, okay? Listen to what he says. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding. Desiring to be teachers without understanding. We've got lots of people that desire to teach us what, what is true, what we need to be like, how we need to live, but they have no understanding whatsoever. Keyboard warriors are my favorite. You know, it's, I, used to, um, I used to spend a lot of time on Facebook. Facebook is irrelevant now, just so we're clear. I've learned this working with students. I had no idea. They, they actually identified me as old because I use Facebook. Uh, and I'm grateful because I can't even bother getting into the other social medias. But uh, the, I used to spend a lot of time on Facebook, which would say something about my heart, uh, trying to be frustrating, passive-aggressive, and antagonistic towards the Edmonton Oilers and their fans. As a true Flames fan, this was what I felt I needed to do. And I had someone pull me aside and just say, Tim, you're annoying on purpose. It's unbecoming. Stop it. And, and I was at a point in my life where I've, I stopped asking why when I have these men in my life that I've asked to speak into my life. I don't ask them why. When they make a suggestion, I just kind of do it, and things have worked out a lot better for me that way. Um, I think that that's, that's what's, what, what, like an idea of kind of what's happening. There's just these, they're wasting their time on these, these genealogies that it's cultivating speculation. Can you think of anything in your life that consumes your thoughts to a point where it's cultivating speculation rather than stewarding the gifts and the gospel that has been given to us by God. So this is, what, this is what's happening. And then Paul says in our, in our text, I thank him who strengthened me. Why would he need strength to do what he's doing? Well, again, we, we talked about who Paul is. Acts 9, 20, 19 to 22, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? He needs the, the grace, mercy, and strength of Jesus in his life because his reputation is following him. He's got people that, that aren't going to trust him, that are going to question him, that are going to... This, isn't this like, aren't you here to arrest us? I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So this is kind of that, that, the gratitude that he has, and now he's living this, this mission out, and then he says, this is kind of where we get, we get the, the reason. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's I guess this is more the reality. This is his reality. This is, this is who I was. This is an acknowledging of, I did nothing to help this mission. And it's essentially Paul kind of building his case for, for what I would suggest is the main thrust of our text in verse 15. He's building up his case. He's saying, listen, this is who I was. I, like, I acknowledge it, but also 
What I want you to hear is that I received mercy. I did not get what I deserve. And because of that, I did not get what I deserve. Because of that, because of the grace that overflowed, I got what I didn't deserve. The Lord was merciful to me, didn't kill me, and then his grace overflowed. He gave me so much more than I could ever ask for or dream or deserve. Verse 14 to me is is an interesting one. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Now, I even think to... Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul, again, he's writing a letter to the church in Rome, and, and, he, and he talks about grace increasing. But if you actually read the text, like read the verse in its entirety, he says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increases, grace abound all the more. In, in verse 8 of our text this morning, he would say, We know that the law is good. You know, the, the law, when it came in, the Messianic law, when it came in, did not come in to be a, a, a burden but a, a, a guiding, a yoke to, to carry, to, to guide us. It's religion that makes it burdensome. The, the law is good because the law helps exploit sin in our lives. There's, it helps us see, I do fall short. I am, all of us fall short of the glory of God. But it makes room for grace to begin its transforming work. Where sin increased, grace may abound. The law exposes sin and makes room for grace to begin in Paul's life. And, and look at how it transforms him. Sin was huge in his life. Now grace was bigger. He, he went from unbelief to faith. He, he loved, he has now love as opposed to being a blasphemer and a persecutor. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, No man can now say that he is too great a sinner to be saved because the chief of sinners was saved 1,800 years ago. Obviously a few more now. If the ringleader, the chief of the gang, has been washed in the precious blood and is now in heaven, why not I and why not you? And you know, I I read Paul's words, and I can't help but just just replay in my own life the things that I've done. The places I've been and and the sin of of my past. You know, I I can't help, I, I used to be a drunkard. I used to be a liar. I used to abuse the trust of people that loved and cared for me. I used to manipulate people and circumstances and situations for selfish gain. I used to harbor deep resentments. I used to live with such pride that was clearly evident in how I spoke and how I acted and how I treated people. But I received mercy. I didn't get what I deserve. And I certainly don't have now what I deserve. I read Paul's letters, and I just think for the original hearers of the day, this would be earth-shattering, like just shocking to be like, this is the guy who is killing us. Now he's saying this about us. For us, I just see it as, hey, we all have a past. If, if there's something in us that we read these words of Paul and are like, ew, gross. <laughs> Glad I'm not like that guy. It, it might be a good moment to pause and take a look in the mirror. But he he understands that he acted ignorantly. He didn't act in faith. He acted ignorantly. He was blind to the truth. But the grace of our Lord overflowed to us, to him. 
And here's his, here's his reason. So the reality is, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And, and here's his reason to have hope. Here's his reason to be, live with gratitude. Here's his reason for his mission. It's in verse 15, and he says, the saying is trustworthy. Now, we live in a day and age where being a skeptic is not just encouraged, but celebrated. Like, like a prove-it mentality. And all of us have access to Google, so we're experts on everything and have the answers to everything. In a day and age where I have never, in my 40 years of existence, I've never been more skeptical of what's presented to me than ever before, there's a desperate longing, at least in me, maybe I'm alone in this, to remind myself of what's true, what I can trust, what I can know, what I can walk forward in. And this... Paul is saying to them in the day, this is trustworthy. It's the same for us today. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. These are, this is who I was. I'm the worst. You know, I, oh, I remember days pastoring and struggling with alcohol and no one knowing and standing in the pulpit and that though like feeling that weight of I am the worst sinner I know like people just don't know the truth of what's going on I mean sin always finds us out it it always comes to light we're either going to humble ourselves or be humiliated I chose the latter numerous times in my life tend to step on land grenades as a way of learning things. You know, it was a bad idea. But I read Paul's letters, and I'm like, oh, I know that. I felt that. Now, now, now how could Paul make such a claim? I mean, he, he's, outside, of his, outside of his testimony nowadays, right? Like, that, well, that's your experience. You know, I don't want to take away from that, but I don't believe it. I'm not going to affirm. I'm not going to say it's true, but, but, you know, I'm happy for you. If, if we are Christians, oh, has there ever been, like, I, again, I don't, I'm not old, but I'm not young. I've never felt, maybe it's just working with students. Maybe just being so much more aware of the pressure that they're under. Maybe it's just listening to the theories and ideas and lies that they're believing is true. I've never been more aware of just how desperately we need to be in the Word and of the Word. And so Paul gives a testimony, but, but we, we can trust this for us today because of the historical account of Jesus. If, if you were to go into the Gospels, if you go to Mark chapter 2, we understand, Paul's saying Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus said the same thing. I've come to seek and save the, the law. I've, I've come, it's the sick who need a doctor. That's who I've come to save. And, and we see Jesus always pursued the sinners of the day. Luke 15, 2, like the Pharisees would even say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They, can, they identify it, but they're saying it as a bad thing. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to save us. Since the birth of Christ, those who had a major issue with the saving work of Jesus were religious. Now, 
Here, here's just, this is just an aside, and it's, it's I just finished up, a, a, I took a preaching workshop, Simeon Trust um, workshop, and it was phenomenal. But we were looking at the book of Jonah, and uh, it's interesting because Jonah's heart is exploited a few times throughout the story where ultimately you can see he was cool with the grace and mercy of God being for him and his people, but not the people of Nineveh, not the Assyrians. They were known for being wickedly evil. They were oppressing Jonah and his people. It was awful what they would do to them, and because of how they were treating them, Jonah couldn't imagine, did not desire, wouldn't wouldn't, would turn physically, geographically the other way from where God was calling him because he couldn't imagine the people of Nineveh receiving the mercy of God. And I read Paul's words, and I have to pause and think, do I desire the mercy that I've received, the grace that has overflowed into my life? Do I desire the same for people I don't like. And I think the internet has helped make even more clear <laughs> how deceitful and, and deceived my, my, my heart can get. The, the, suddenly there's a lot of people I don't like that I've never met. And uh, I've just been so convicted recently, you know, there, there are people in power that I need to be praying for. Like, <laughs> if, if God can change the heart of Paul, if, if he can change my heart, um, like imagine if he gets a hold of the hearts of the leaders of the world. And if I'm honest, I haven't been praying in that way. Because like Jonah, I've thought, I want the mercy, I want the grace, but not them. Lord, let them have justice. I want justice through the cross, but them, let them feel your wrath. And th- like, I just think it's so interesting to see that this is Paul in, in this position, coming from that into this role and, and demonstrating to us when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you want everyone to know and, it, and, and I just think it'd just be good to just be really honest with ourselves about our desire for others to know the grace and mercy of Jesus. And now, now we see a response. I know you were just going to, yeah, someone was just going to put their hand up and say, yeah, but what do we do with this? I'm glad you asked. Paul says in verse 16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. How how does Jesus show his perfect patience? How does Jesus show, this is is why I came? You know, I think we've got Paul's testimony already, but something that was lost on me, like I've read this text numerous times over the years, and I like it. it. It would comfort me, you know, my, the psychology, the, the, the brain needed some sort of, oh yeah, okay, good. <laughs> he came to save sinners like me, but it wasn't transforming me. And I think at times that's just because like, I wasn't really grasping what it meant, what Jesus had done. 
what he gave up to save his enemies. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This theological term is kenosis. It's, it's this idea of emptying oneself. And, and there was an author who explained it this way. So this is what Jesus did to pursue you and me as sinners, as, 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 as Paul would say in Ephesians, we're at enmity with him. He says, he gave up the eternal joys of heaven, not just fleeting happiness, but the absence of sadness. He gave that up. He experienced humanity like us, hungry, tired, sad, alone. He knows poverty. He had nowhere to lay his head. He endured insults, treacheries, slanders, blasphemies, rejection, and contempt. He faced temptation from the devil, and not like, take this five-cent candy, but more like, you don't have to be crucified. Come on, go the easy way. He died a shameful death. He experienced the bitter anguish of a soul, a soul of a one accursed of God and forsaken by his heavenly Father. And I just, I, I think of what Jesus did to pursue me. You know, since before the foundations of the world, he, he knew. He's not in any less control today of all that's going on. And yet there's lots of moments in my life where I'm like, how did he see napping? You know, is that really, that's how you want it to go? But I believe that this is the main thrust of, of this text, of what Paul is trying to get across. Jesus came to save sinners, the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst he came to save so he could put on display his perfect patience. And then he goes on in verse 17. And he says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He recounts the grace and the mercy that God has poured out into his life, and his response is worship. And I love, this is, this is like a, a taste of heaven. This is a heaven, like Revelation 15, 3 and 4. It says, And they will sing the songs of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just as true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. King of ages, meaning he's, he's not bound by time, but works in time. He's immortal. He can't die or decay. This should cultivate hope in our hearts. that We can put our faith in him. He won't let us down. He's invisible. You can't go find God, but in his grace and mercy, he'll reveal himself to us. He pursues us. And he is the only God. There's not all roads lead to heaven. There is one true God. He's the God of the Bible. Exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He worships him. So, so for us today, three really quick 
points of application that you can take with you. Um, first reminder is that God chooses who and what he, he uses. God doesn't need to ask us for permission to redeem and restore someone, to use them for his purpose and his glory. God will choose who he's going to use. God will choose what he's going to use, whether it be a pandemic, whether it be a war. He will be glorified. His plans are not thwarted. And, and, I did, and again, maybe it's just my, my own pride at moment, those moments of, you know, I want to send him an email and just let him know he's probably missing this. The, the moments that I have anxiety and feel anxious are the moments I forget that God's in control. The moments that I forget that he's, he's doing something. My dad always says to me, it drives me mental. God's always doing something. He's never doing nothing. You know, but it's true. And he's going to do what he wants to do. And he's always accomplished his purposes contrary to what humanity has thought would be the right. He uses Moses, who, who can't speak. He... Jesus comes out of Bethlehem. Can anything good come out of there? He uses Paul, an insolent opponent of his. This is what he does. <laughs> to sound really cheesy, but in God we trust is the second point of application. It's in him we trust. Not in, not in our, if our political party of preference gets into power, well, there's a lot of peace. That was good. That, that does not guarantee peace. One more. You know, the, it, it's in him and him alone. Humans are so fallible and fallen. Every intention of our heart is evil. To put our trust in, in other people is a guarantee to let us down. But to turn and just put our trust, God, you were doing something. I love hanging out with, with older men who in the midst of all that's going on, I was just so, this week, that. There's an awareness of all that's going on in our world. There's no panic. Because their theology doesn't give them room to panic because they believe that God's on his throne. And they trust him. And God is trustworthy, friends. And finally, worship belongs to, the, to God. Worship belongs to the Lord. He is the only God he is the king of kings. He's immortal. He is invisible. And if nothing, he has come to save us. I love how Spurgeon puts it. His mercy is so great that it forgives great sins to great sinners. After great lengths of time, then gives great favors and great privileges and raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. This is a trustworthy saying. Jesus lived perfectly on your behalf. So no matter what you've done or where you've been, you've, you're covered. This is trustworthy. He died on a cross, absorbing the wrath of God, that we might never taste or feel the eternal sting of the wrath of God. For anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, repents of their sin and trusts him for salvation. This is a trustworthy saying. He rose again three days later. Justifying us before a holy and righteous God. 
This is a trustworthy saying. He ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. This is a trustworthy saying. He's coming again. The peace that we long for will happen. Maybe not in our lifetime. And things will get worse. But he will come again. That is trustworthy. Let's pray. God of grace, I just thank you for the reality of your sovereignty, your sovereign reign. I thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your grace, your restoring work in the lives of, of men like Paul and myself. Yeah. So undeserving, and yet you're so kind. And in your kindness, you draw us to repentance. And, uh, Lord, I just pray for those here this morning that maybe don't even know you, that in this moment you would, by your Spirit, you would prompt them to turn from their sin, to put their faith in Christ as a means of salvation, believing in their heart that you are Lord and confessing with their mouth that you rose from the dead. Father, for those that are here that know you and are struggling, would you just comfort, convict those areas of our lives that need to be convicted and bring freedom. And Father, for those that are enjoying being your child this day, would you just encourage them and might they be an encouragement to others. And as we go into a world of animosity towards you, denial of, of truth, God, it feels like we're just we're wandering further and further away from you. Would we leave here clinging to the reality that we have a trustworthy saying, that we have a trustworthy Savior who won't fail, has never failed, and will accomplish all that you set out to do. We love you. We pray these things by your grace and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I have been asked and have the privilege of dismissing you. There are, from what I understand, snacks to my right, your left. And so uh, my daughter and I will stick around for a bit. So if anyone wants to say hi, I'd love to chat with you. But would you, um, I closed my Bible too soon. Just as a, a, a little benediction from, again, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonian, Thessalon Thessalonica, Thessalonica. We'll just say Second Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.